fourth and final week on our series uh, about money, and I have a confession to make. You see, for three weeks, I've talked about the heart and, and how we view our stuff and how Jesus talks about it and how it's so important. I mean, I don't talk about it as much as Jesus does, because that would be like every third week if we were to talk about money as much as he does. Uh, like 30% of all he talks about, right, is possessions and stuff and how we view our stuff. But I've been up here, and I've been passionate, and I've... I, I've really kind of, I've, I've, I've made my case of why we do this, because money is spiritual, and it's my job as a pastor to, to point to truth and, and allow for us to respond to that truth. But I have a confession to make. I'm not going to say the word hypocrite, but when it comes to giving and generosity, because that's where we've come. We've come like, you know, Jesus uh, looks at the law and he says, well, you know what? We talked about tithing. You know, he's like, I got a new law for I got a new thing. It's, it's generosity. It's above and beyond. Um, when it comes to giving, and that's where even last week's message came to, it came to the idea of giving and being generous. I push back in one area of generosity. Allow me to continue this message, if you will, but uh, that comes to my kids' stuffed animals. Like, I've watched my children uh, grow up with different toys in certain seasons. One toy is more favorable than the other. But there was this one animal, and I think there's, this story's been repeated a couple of times, but one that has scarred me. I don't know if it's scarred is the right term, but Mr., was it, was it Pinky? It was Pinky. Pinky Winky was a pinkish linky. What? Pinky Linky. Either way, I love this bear. I don't even know its name. It's not even a bear. It's a dog or something. Either way, I loved this animal because my daughter loved this animal and it went everywhere with us. And then there was a day where she's like, I want to give this to somebody. It wasn't like, I'm sick of this and I'm tired of this and I've overgrown this. I've outgrown this. I want to give this to somebody. And I was crushed. Like Pinky, whatever its name is, that I love so much, was supposed to be there when my grandkids came and visited and said, this was your mother's favorite thing. Or, or for my boys who, who've done the similar things with their prized possessions of giving it away because they're compassionate or they're being generous. And yeah, I push back in that area. So when I think about that, though, just there, there is a moment where, even though it's, it's, it's difficult <laughs> to watch my kids do this, I have to continue to foster it because I see in them something that is beautiful. I see a, 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 a compassion, a, a generosity, something that makes me think, well, oh, maybe we've done something right as a parent. And I think to, an agree, to a degree, what we see with generosity is our Heavenly Father looks at his children and says, hey, that's a beautiful thing. Not only because I've done something right as God, right? Not, you get what I'm saying, but because it reflects who he is. It reflects what he's done. And we're going to look a, bit, a little bit about that because this whole thing really does come down to the heart. Here's the problem with the heart issue. One of my favorite verses about the heart is uh, Jeremiah 17, 9. You guys know it? 
The, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? See, this whole thing about money every single week comes back to the heart, to the heart, but then we have a biblical text that says the heart is wicked and deceitful, and, which leads me to believe that we can give for the wrong reasons. We can give to get. We can give to get credit. We can give to get stuff. We can give to, because we're trying to earn something from God which is already freely given to us. We can give out of guilt. There's a lot of reasons that our hearts can be giving and really missing the mark of what God has for us as we give because the heart is messy. That's why there wasn't like one sermon about the heart when we talked about money, but every sermon centers on the heart. So the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to talk about those obstacles towards that generosity that God calls us to, that Jesus says, hey, you know what? Above and beyond, I'm calling you to something greater than the old. And as we do that, as I've said every week, I understand people are in different places in their walk with the Lord. I understand people are in different places when it comes to how they view their stuff. My prayer, no matter where you're at, whether you, you give faithfully now, whether you go above and beyond what you ever thought you would do, or whether you're just trying to muster up enough faith to step out a little baby step of faith, my prayer is that we can take the next step and continue to explore what God has for us. This, this, ser this sermon has a series, My Joy, because there is some great joy that comes as we follow God's lead. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 15. The funny thing about Deuteronomy chapter 15 is that it follows Deuteronomy chapter 14, which doesn't seem so funny to you until you realize as you turn to 15, take a look at what's in 14. It's the instruction for tithing, the very tithing we talked about two weeks ago that I said, Jesus says, hey, I got something new for you. <coughs> Excuse me. So we talked about the law a couple weeks ago and how just because we're under a new covenant and we're not obligated to the law doesn't mean that we throw everything out. But what we're going to see in this passage is going to seem kind of strange up front. It's going to be like, why are we in this passage? But what we're going to see is God's heart when it comes to how we should conduct our life. Deuteronomy chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 7. Actually, you know what? I changed my mind just now. We're starting in verse 1. I have the authority to do that. At the end of every seventh year, you're going to wonder, what in the world we're reading? Don't worry, I'm going to help come back and explain after we're done reading. At the end of every seventh year, well, let me stop. Because I think it's important to give you some context. Normally, I would give you context while you're turning. I failed to do that. This is Deuteronomy. You guys know what Deuteronomy is about? It's the children of Israel that Moses led out of Egypt. They're out of slavery. They go into the wilderness. They wander forever. As soon as they get into the wilderness, God gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them the law. He instructs that generation who came out of slavery. Here's how we're to conduct ourselves. But 40 years later, they're on the banks of the Jordan River about to take the promised land that was promised to their ancestors generations ago. A whole new generation is now ready to take the promised land. The other generation died off because they're grumbling and compla complaining. And um, Moses stands up as old man who, who himself won't go into the promised land and recounts the law for them. So you'll, you'll read the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy, but you're going to read it earlier too. In Exodus and Leviticus, you see all these laws. Once again, there's a retelling before they go. This, this group of 
it was a tribe of, of families. It was a family, and they were tribal, but now God has made them through their wilderness wandering into a nation as they go and take the promised land. So what we're reading is the law recounted by Moses, which is helpful, which is funny because we talked about the law and whether it applies a couple weeks ago. At the end of every seventh year, you must cancel the debts of everyone who owes you money. This is how it must be done. Everyone must cancel the loans they have made to their fellow Israelites. They must not demand payment from their neighbors or relatives for the Lord's time to release has arrived. This release from debt, however, applies only to your fellow Israelites and not to the foreigners living among you. There should be no poor among you, for the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land he is giving you as a special possession. You will receive this blessing if you are careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God and I'm, that I'm giving you today. Though your Lord your God will bless you as he promised, he will lend money, or you will lend money to many nations, <clears throat> but will never need to borrow. You will rule many nations, but they will not rule over you. But, now I want you to say, this is, this is a big but. Uh, he said there should be no poor among you. It, like that was like the ideal, like here's what should happen. Because God's going to bless you and you're going to be obedient. And, and, and there's kind of this place where, you know, there shouldn't be. But I recognize there's going to be poor among you, so here's the but. If there are any poor Israelites in your, in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because you fear, or because the year of canceling debt is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to God, you will be considered guilty of sin. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. Jesus quotes that, right? As you know, many of you know. That is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. If a fellow Hebrew sells himself or herself to your servant, uh, to be your servant, and serves you for six years in the seventh year, you must set that servant free. When you release a male servant, do not send him away empty-handed. Give him a generous farewell gift from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Share with him some of the bounty with which the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I'm giving you this command. So what in the world do we just read? It is the law being recounted, and it's speaking specifically at that time and that place, not just Israel, but that part of the world, there's something called, well, we actually know this term in other parts of history, indentured servants. People who would work for no salary, but they would work to get out of debt to a landowner or somebody, right? Somebody that's given them a loan or, or helped them. So they would, they would commit to working, and so we're going to see... Um, what God is saying is in terms of taking care of the poor and the fortunate. Sometimes the people were so poor they had no choice but to become servants and to pay off that debt. But what you, what you, if you're familiar with Old Testament law, you know that every seven years there was a year of uh, the Sabbath year where uh, things get set right. There was also a year of Jubilee every 50 years. But um, let's take a look at what he's saying here because 
the, 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 the specifics of this law don't apply because we're not necessarily, we don't have indentured servants who work for us and um, there isn't a year of, of Sabbath that we kind of, seven years, you're debt free. I mean, but the heart of God is seen in this text. Um, look at the verse, look at verse seven, just talking about the heart of God. I'm not even gonna really talk a whole lot about verse seven, but what does it say? Don't be hard-hearted and tight-fisted. There is a call already there towards generosity. Be generous and lend what, what they need. But here we go, verse 9. Verses 1 through everything up to this point helps set us up with what exactly this instruction is, but this instruction gives us a glimpse into God's heart. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year of canceling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make a loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. Notice the verse starts with, don't be mean-spirited, you'll be guilty of sin. If you have the English Standard Version or another more formal equivalent translation, the word is, don't have the unworthy thought. NIV says, don't have an evil thought or a wicked thought. The Hebrew word that we translate here as mean-spirited or unworthy really means evil. Don't have the evil thought. What's the evil thought? Well, do I loan this person money knowing that the year of canceling debt is so close that I'm probably not going to get paid back what I'm going to loan, so I'm no deal. I'm not making this deal. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about myself. What do we call that when we have an over-concern uh, for self? Selfish. He's saying, don't be selfish. That's, it's pretty simple. Don't have this evil, selfish thought about maneuvering to put yourself in the best position when really this whole system that God is giving is for the benefit of the poor and destitute. Because at least in seven years, they can get out from underneath it. It's not an eternal uh, thing. That's, that's the, the system. I don't want you to misunderstand that... Um, we are called to love our neighbor as yourself, but selfishness is beyond that. Selfishness is love myself and not my neighbor. You know, we, this is a whole other sermon. You have to love yourself in order to properly love your neighbor, but that's what Jesus calls us to. But this is self-interest above others and obedience to God. Selfishness whispers in our, in our and this is, this is an obstacle towards generosity. We've built this whole thing about our heart and every week we kind of start to point more and more to generosity, but here's an obstacle in our heart, our heart that is wicked, that we can't really understand according to the prophet Jeremiah. Selfishness whispers this, you don't have enough for yourself. You might not have enough for yourself. Or are you sure God's going to really come through if you let that go? Selfishness is kind of our default mode when we're born in this world, is it not? It's deeply rooted What was your children's first words that came out of their mouth? You're thinking, it's mama or dada, or don't you? My kids, it was dada. No, I don't know. You know what their first words were? Wah! You know why? Because your child, and I'm looking at it like a little, your child is wicked and selfish. <laughs> From the womb, 
Wow, what does wow mean? Translate the word wow. It's feed me, change me, hold me, now. Is it not? We are born selfish. It comes natural to us. It comes easy to us. And then when they become toddlers and they have a few extra words that they have that they can use, their favorite word becomes what? Mine. Mine? Selfishness is deeply rooted. And it's not something we grow out of. We just become a little more sophisticated about our selfishness. We grow out of diapers. We don't grow out of selfishness. Then look at verse 10. So selfishness is an obstacle towards generosity on the front side, but there's another obstacle towards generosity and really living the way the Lord wants us to live. Verse 10, give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. Selfishness in verse 9, where someone doesn't give because they're being selfish, but in verse 10, they actually give but they're grieving. Selfishness is an obstacle before you give. Grieving, obstacle after you give. Grieving comes when we consider what we could have done with that, how we could have used that had we not given it away. Grieving is I'm giving something away like physically, but in my heart I haven't given it away. You're secretly holding on to it inside. I, um, I don't have any great stories because I have a lot of stories, so nothing really rises to the top, but I was considering my own life and um, a handful of moments where I've had what you would call buyer's remorse. Anyone ever have that? Everyone ever have that? And like the next day you're back at the store looking for that refund. Is it just me? It's just me, so we could skip that part of the sermon. No, listen, we all know what buyer's remorse is. It's like, I thought this was going to be great. I thought this was going to be what I wanted, and then I got it, and I'm like, ah, I probably shouldn't have spent the money for that. We go back and we return it. In that moment, we feel it. In that moment, we're like, you know, we're there, but then quickly it's like, ugh. The same thing could happen as we give. There's giver's remorse too. We can hear the voice of the Spirit. We could wholeheartedly follow the, 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 the Lord, but then we could walk away and be like, oh. Maybe I could have given a little less. It would have been nice to go out to lunch after church. I mean, you know, or, you know, there's just, there's, there's a such thing as that even when we're prompted by the Spirit and obedient to God, then we can grieve because we give out of obligation. Remember, the heart is wicked. Who can really understand it? Some people give because They feel pressured. And, and if I could give, I could just get out from underneath that pressure and that guilt. But here's what's, what happens is when you grieve after giving and you feel regret because of giving, regret turns into resentment. And when you're resentful, you're at risk of harming relationships. Think about it. When you give in and just go along with whatever, your sister-in-law makes all the plans at Thanksgiving. Nothing, that's not personal, I promise. I'm just saying. 
when you give in and go along, you feel, but if you feel like you've just, your arm's been twisted, the preacher made you give, or, or a family member, or, or somebody who's needy asks for some help, and you give, but you're not really giving wholeheartedly, you become resentful, and it harms relationships. And that relationship can be with family, it can be with friends, it can be with the church. That resentment can exist towards God as well. It poisons relationships. So you have obstacles on the front side and the back side. But if we keep looking in this passage, we're going to see something else. Look at verses 13 through 14. This is the part where you release that servant. When you release a male servant, do not send him away empty-handed. Give him a generous farewell gift from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. See, selfishness, grief, hardwired into us. Generosity, not so much. Generosity goes against our fallen nature. But you know what it is? It's consistent with our new nature. If you're a Christian and you've given your life to Jesus, we use the term born again. We are raised to new life. And that new life is the life of Christ in us and us in Christ. And guess what? Generosity is pretty consistent with the new life that we've been given. It's not a matter of being told to be generous. It's simply a matter of remembering who you are. But we are notorious for forgetting who we are. You've heard me say this phrase, we are grace, grace, grace amnesiacs. Forgetting what we've received. Forgetting who we are. See, you can be told to be generous. You can have the biblical imperative to be generous, to be generous, and be generous. And if you respond to it without thinking, without the lens of the new life in Christ, then that imperative, you might give in the moment. But selfishness and grief are, are, are there. They're, 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 it's because you're just doing it out of who you used to be, your, your old sinful nature. But if you recognize who you are, then it's just being consistent with who you are in Christ. Let me ask you this question. Why, why do you think God created giving? Like, I think most people would answer, well, it, it funds his work. The gospel goes out. I think a lot of people would answer, well, it helps people in need. And, and you know, we as Christians are, are, are light, so we help people in need. Uh, but ultimately, all those answers kind of have this unspoken thing that God kind of needs our money, but God doesn't need our money. The Bible is pretty clear on that. I'm convinced that God has created giving for our sake, that we may experience the blessings and the joy of giving, that he may change and do a work in our heart, that we would reflect who he is, because who we are is being transformed more and more into his image. Last week I mentioned that giving is the antidote to materialism because materialism becomes that idol that takes God's place. But if we, as we give and money loses its power on us, it allows for God to be in his rightful place. God is doing a work in our hearts and giving is the proof of that work. Giving done rightly. God did not create giving for his sake. He created it for ours. So what do we do about that? 
knowing that we are gracious amnesiacs, knowing that we forget sometimes, the first thing is remember. Let's go back to our text, verse 15. Let me read verse 15 to you. Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt. Now this is him. We were not once slaves in the land of Egypt. In context, he's speaking to those people about to take the promised land, but his heart is seen through this. Remember that you were once slaves and the Lord your God redeemed you. You were once slaves, but you were freed. So you free your servants. Remember what you have received. Remember. Moses tells them to remember so that they would, what, be grateful. And that their giving comes from a place of gratitude, not obligation, not pressure. Something very similar happens in Matthew. Jesus, after the Sermon on the Mount, sends out his disciples to go preach. And what's he tell them? Let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 10, 7 and 8. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Some of you learned that in the King James Version, didn't you? Freely ye have received, freely give. Remember what you've received. I mean, that, that place of gratitude, I won't preach a whole sermon on gratitude. We did that all of November. But that gratefulness, that place, that fuels generosity. And the second thing is keep a proper perspective on your money. Paul, in the book of Romans, there's two major sections. The first 11 chapters, this is very theologically rich and deep and heavy where he lays out the good news of the gospel. And then verse 12, he transitions to something more practical. And it, it, the whole book turns on the word, therefore. Therefore. All of this, therefore do this. My translation in the New Living says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. We need to keep a proper perspective on, I think I read my point on your money. See, when we let our hearts and our minds be transformed, we recognize that, it, that it's not your money, it's his money. Everything is his. And when we recognize and have the perspective that everything is his, it becomes a whole lot easier to give it away. You can give without grieving because you understand that it wasn't yours in the first place. It's not something that we actually, we need to learn. I don't think most of us need to learn that. I think most of us already know that. It's just a matter of remembering. It's a matter of being reminded. I, uh, I tell stories. Most of the time I tell stories in my sermons up front. I'm telling one at the very end. I'm very careful in my, in my stories not to be the hero. Do you, do you agree with me? Am I always the hero of my stories? Usually I'm like the villain in my stories. 
And my children are the heroes. But I'm going to be, for, at the risk of sounding like I'm bragging here, I'm not. I just want to tell you a story because I titled this message, My Joy. And it's interesting because as at the very beginning of this series, I think God, God did something in my own life. Like you've got to practice what you pre- preach. You've got to believe it. Um, so when this series started the very first weekend, I did a wedding. And uh, as is customary with ministers who do weddings, I was given an envelope with uh, some cash in it. And I was like, yes, I will never turn down an envelope of cash. Um, And then it was a Saturday, so that was on a Friday. On Saturday, uh, we installed a brand new dishwasher that I purchased for my wife for Christmas because I'm an awesome husband, and that's a long story. I, I won't tell you that. So I took my old dishwasher, and I went out to the street. I took a picture of it, and I went on Facebook Marketplace and said, hey, free dishwasher. That works. It just doesn't work as good as the new one. You know, but you can have it, because I'm all about giving my junk to somebody else. Anyway, no, but people will take stuff. I mean, people will take broken hot water heaters and scrap it. It'll disappear, I promise you. And I had people hit me up for it, and then I, I finally committed it to one couple, and they were very grateful, and it was cool. But then I was contacted by somebody else, and I can't remember the exact phrase, but it was like, is this still available? Because mine just broke, and I really am in a place where I can use it. And I just said, oh, I'm so sorry. It's, it's not available. Just gave it away. But something in my heart kind of was pulled to this message. I don't know this person from, I don't know this person, right? But something in that message just kind of tugged on me. Maybe it was God speaking or the, the, the nudging of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I went back and said, listen, you know what? I'd be happy to, to kind of look around Facebook Marketplace. Maybe there's another one that's not free, but it's 100 bucks or something. You know, we could find a deal. And the person's like, well, thank you, but no thank you. And I really felt like God was like, Jerome, <laughs> you got to go back and tell her that you're going to buy her a dishwasher. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, I just bought my wife a dishwasher. <laughs> and so I get back on this message thing, and I'm, I must look like a creeper at this point. And I won't tell you the whole story, but I just said, listen, I'm a Christian. This might sound like totally crazy to you. This may sound really weird, but I really feel like God wants me to buy you a dishwasher, like a brand new dishwasher. But here's the problem. While I felt like God was doing that, I had X amount of money in this envelope from this wedding, but it wasn't what a dishwasher cost. I know, I was pricing dishwashers all fall along, leading up to Christmas. And I even said, God, are you sure? Like, you know how much a dishwasher costs, right, Lord? It's double this amount. And I just figured, well, I guess this is just this money and we'll throw in our own money that, you know, I really felt like God said, like that money in the envelope, that's not yours. And I was like, okay, well, I'll throw in some others. I guess really not all, none of it's mine really, but I was like, whatever, we'll do this. So I get on there and she's like, you're not gonna believe this. I'm a Christian too. And here's what's going on in my life. It's not my story to share, but the story is remarkable. And um, there are so many ways that Heather and I felt connected to this person in their difficult time. I, I can't, it's not my story to share, but it's crazy. Um, but once again, the person said, I cannot receive this. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Don't receive it. And I was like, okay, God, I guess I missed it. 
<laughs> then I came to church and we launched this series four weeks ago. And uh, I walked into my office after preaching that first sermon, talking about the heart. And as I opened my door, this doesn't happen often. Don't think, wow, Jerome, just rolling in dough. Uh, there was an envelope on the floor that someone slid through my door, under my door. And it had the same exact money as the first envelope from the wedding. And the two envelopes equal a brand new dishwasher. And I was like, I kind of have to go back to this woman and say, no, really, I have to buy you a dishwasher. Like this money just showed up. I was going to leave you alone, I promise. And uh, we began to talk a little bit. And this person's particular circumstances is not a place where they want to put a brand new dishwasher in the home they're living in at the time. But I said, well, then this money is yours. And you use it for what you need at this point, at this time in your life. So I um, signed up for some giving app on something I've never used. And I sent a total stranger whose profile I can't even really see because I did kind of try to creep there. Uh, and I sent some hundreds of dollars. And uh, that person continues to connect with us and ask for prayer. And in a weird, strange way, we're walking alongside of her. Um, I, I wish I could tell you the story, but it's not my story to tell. I only tell you that story because I want to be the hero. No, I don't know that. I tell you that story because in the course of that story, there was moments where I felt a little bit of grief that we talked about. But I know there was a whole lot of joy. There was a whole lot of excitement. And there was a whole lot of watching God do something. Like if I, I'm convinced, and whoever dropped the money underneath my door, an envelope that Sunday, thank you. Um, you were used by God to bless somebody. And I can, I'm kind of convinced that's the picture of what God's called us to be and to do. We're not reservoirs that he pours into. We are rivers that he pours into and we pour right out. And when we live in that place of excitement and joy, we watch him provide. He's taking care of that lady. We just got to play a part. I'd like to close this message with just a, a time of prayer for us as we close this series out. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word to us. We can look at a text that we're not bound by, an old covenant text, but yet in that text we see that it's more blessed to give than receive even way back then that you love the cheerful giver even way back then. All these New Testament texts that seem consistent with your heart in a, in a passage about the law. God, we recognize the games that we play with our heart, the reasoning and the rationale that we try to maneuver with in our brains. But Lord, when you speak to us, may we, may we be responsive May we live on that edge of, of joy and excitement, watching you provide, watching you come through, watching you touch hearts and lives. Thank you that you've called us to just, to just to play a part. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.